This is the Internet Ballers Podcast, episode 36. This is the Internet Ballers Podcast with your host, Michael Pasha, the show for internet entrepreneurs who want to learn how uncertainty and struggle turn into confidence and success. Welcome to the Ballers Circle. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Baller Circle. I'm Michael Pasha, the host of the Internet Ballers Podcast, and today I'm excited to welcome Kate McShay to the Baller Circle. Kate is a previous second grade teacher turned entrepreneur. After leaving her teaching career and failing in her business for the first 12 months in 2013, she and her husband Andrew went from zero to generating six figures in less than 12 months after finding mentors and leveraging video marketing and social media. Kate and her husband Andrew generated over 75,000 leads online and are top affiliates in two online marketing systems, having sold thousands of their own information products and now host their own live events. Kate is now a sought-after speaker, trainer who specializes in training other home-based business owners how to leverage the power of video marketing combined with social media to generate more leads, make more sales, and create a massive online following. Kate, thanks for coming in. Can you can you fill in any gaps? Is there anything I missed about the the true Kate McShay story? Oh, geez, um, I juggle. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I made my way up. Um, first of all, thank you so much, Michael, for having me on. Um, I've been actually listening to your other podcasts, and they're absolutely amazing. And the other people you have on there are great. So, I just really applaud you for everything that you're doing. Um, but yeah, let me see if there's anything that I can fill in gaps. Well, obviously. Um, struggle, 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 triumph, struggle, 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 triumph, um, would be basically what are in the gaps between that story. Because it almost sounds, um, when I hear it, surreal, and it sounds unrealistic of how could that happen where it's literally like an overnight success. But there are a lot of different things, and I'm sure we'll talk about it inside of this interview, that really made a difference when it came to scaling our business and scaling our business quickly. So I would say more more important than anything, it was literally challenge, 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 mini success, continue to keep going forward with even more challenges to uh, create the story that we've, we've been fortunate enough and, and now have the life that we're able to have um, because of what we were able to accomplish. That's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I want to know if you can take us back to before you became successful. You're a second grade teacher. You decide to take a stab at internet business. Uh, I've, I've heard a little bit about your story about how Andrew kind of got into this first and then, you know, later on you came on. So what, what was it that one sparked his interest? And then how did you decide that this was the direction that you wanted to just jump into and and really go, you know, full speed ahead? Yeah, sure. So, um, the way that Andrew got involved in the home-based business industry initially was he was actually, um, we had just, we had met in college, we had graduated college, we were moving in together, planning on hopefully getting married at some point, right? Um, we're in our early, early 20s, and what we realized was Andrew was starting up a new job um, that he really, really liked. However, it was, he started in 2000, basically in like 2006, right where things were starting to go well, and then when he got into sales, in 2008, um, that's when the market crashed. And so trying to be in a recruiting service that he was in where people were basically telling him like, dude, you should just get another job was difficult, right? So he's obviously, he was, he was struggling, loved his job, but struggling to really 
make the kind of income that he wanted to make. And me as a second grade teacher, and I was going to get my master's at the same time. Um, I was working four jobs. I was a tutor, a gymnastics coach and a second grade teacher at the same time and going part time to get my master's while Andrew was um, in sales, hustling in sales and then also working as a bar back at night. And wow. so what we both realized was number one, how do we have kids? <laughs> number two, how do we get married? And number three, how are we ever even going to see each other if we continue to keep going in the direction we we're going in? And so what he, he found network marketing actually, oddly enough at a job fair that he was at and was at the job fair, saw it as a way to create another multiple stream of income and really was working on a part-time business upstairs in our second bedroom, like which was our office space at that time. And I had no interest in it at that <laughs> point. <laughs> I mean, here we are now, which is kind of, it's, it's crazy how things change. However, for me, I was in a space where I just didn't, I was always taught that you go to school, you get a good job, you work really, really hard at your job, and you work really, really hard at your job for 30 years, no matter what, you're compensated, right? Right. So for me, as he's trying to grow and he's investing in himself and he's learning all these new things, I'm downstairs watching Grey's Anatomy, having a sip of wine and correcting <laughs> papers. And so it, it wasn't for me. So he continued to build the business and, you know, he was making some money with the business. And then it got to the point where he was actually doing really, really well in his career. And we were going to, we were going to basically go mobile where we were going to move to wherever they needed us to go. So he could really help, um, help build up the company and, and basically get a promotion. And for me, it was at a time in my life where we were engaged and starting to think and planning a wedding. And I started obviously thinking about having kids and what I was seeing every day while I was teaching, even though I loved what I did, but teaching is not a nine to three job. <laughs> it's just not. Um, for me, it was a seven in the morning to eight o'clock at night job. Um, that's how invested I was. And that's when I realized how do I be a good teacher and a good parent at the same time and put 100% into both? I can't. And that's when I finally realized I'm not happy. Um, I love what I do, but I am burnt out and I'm not going to be able to have all the things that I want to have um, in order to support my family in the way I want to support them. So knowing that um, Andrew got word that he was going to be promoted and we were going to move across the country. I said to him, I don't know if I want to start teaching again. I think I want to do something different and I don't know what that means and I don't know what it looks like. And that's when he said, well, I've been building a, a business part-time um, upstairs and learning a ton. There's this live event in Las Vegas. Do you want to go? And so that's how everything started for me. That's where the, that's how I kind of stumbled into entrepreneurship and I, I wouldn't uh, change my, change my roadmap for how I got there um, at all. And it's just been an absolutely wild ride roller coaster since. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that. And, and especially yeah. the piece about being a teacher, because my so my mother uh, is a retired teacher. So I definitely understand that it's not a nine to five job. It's, right. it's, you know, a lot of times very, you know, people look at the school hours, 
right? But they don't understand all the work that goes in before and after school. So exactly. yeah, a lot, a lot goes into that and the, you know, the stress and things like that. So uh, thanks for sharing that. But so, so you go to this event in Las Vegas yep. and, you know, you don't have, uh, I guess, experience doing this beforehand. Uh, then what happens? What, what, how, how did you, uh, how did your, how does your start into this industry uh, feel for you? What was yeah. that first 12 months like? So first 12 months were interesting. Um, well, actually, I, I was still teaching for a full 12 months while I was semi-building a business part-time. Mm -hmm. So the first live event I ever went to um, was back in 2000, was back in 2000, 2011 or 2012. Mm -hmm. and, um, and at that point, Andrew was still really building the business. But what I learned, and this was a big shift for me, so everything... I feel like everything that happens, there's always some sort of little breakthrough that can come from it. So that first event, I don't remember anything that people spoke about. Like I don't remember <laughs> any of the actual information, but I remember two things. I remember how the people made me feel and I remember the kind of people that I was surrounded by and that's when I went, oh my gosh, I want to be around people like this all the time that are driven, motivated, inspired, want big, huge things out of their lives and are happy and positive. Like that's not normal. <laughs> <laughs> this is not normal. And so for me, that's when I went, okay, I get this. And so I had a full year of teaching um, or just about a full year of teaching at that time. Um, actually, sorry, let me go back. Now it's, I guess I am getting older, huh? Interesting. <laughs> um, I haven't been in this longer than I thought. Uh, four years, crazy. But so, so I, I was wrapping up my teaching career, okay? So I went to my first live event in April, and I was wrapping up my teaching career in June. So I knew I was going to be leaving, and I knew I was going to have no plan B, um, which I don't always recommend out. So if you're listening to this, you have to do what's best for you, okay? But for me, um, I know if I didn't jump in feet first, I, I would not be where I am right now. I'm that kind of person that I have to, I have to burn the boat. And I have to just let everything else go and just jump wholeheartedly into what I'm doing. And that jumping wholeheartedly into what I was doing was quite ugly. Um, <laughs> so I, I did a ton of, um, I had a ton of pity parties the first year <laughs> of, I, of um, mindset. I would say the first 12 months for me, as much as it was skill set based, as much as it was learning about business, a ton of it had to do with my mindset. And a ton of it had to do with me constantly telling myself, well, I'm an educator. I'm not a salesperson. I'm a, uh, I'm a, you know, people person. I can't just like close people into sales. I'm not smart enough to know these things. Um, I don't have a business background. I don't have a business degree. And what I started to realize, it was like, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have, right? Mm -hmm. So I was surrounding my mind um, and home all day by myself, which I wasn't used to. I was used to being surrounded by 25 little children all day and different colleagues. And to be at home in silence um, was probably the best therapy I've ever gotten. Hmm. Because it really opened my eyes up to what was going on in my mind all the time. And I had to be active in fixing that and fixing it as soon as I could because we had to pay our bills. Right. And so for me, I turned I don't have into how can I have it. 
Um, that's how I transitioned my mindset and it w did not happen overnight. Um, however, I started to learn that, you know, I'm capable of anything I can set my mind to, mm -hmm. but I can't do that when I'm thinking in that stage of lack. And so I had to push myself, I had to run into fear and I had to push myself into knowing that I'm going to stumble, I'm going to fall, I'm going to make mistakes, but how do I move forward without worrying about what everybody else thinks? Because that was one of the biggest things. My, my first 12 months was consumed with, I'm not, <laughs> and what will people think, and what if I fail? So all of these thoughts versus when things turned around for us, um, it was starting to think about, well, how can I have those things? How can I learn those things and who can I learn them from? Hmm. And that's what made the biggest difference um, once we came out of that first year. And that all revolved around a live event. Again. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. so, you, so you go through this first year of struggle. So let me yeah. ask you this. So in that first year when you were struggling, what, what kind of hours were you putting in? Yeah. So I thought I was putting in hours from, you know, eight in the morning until six at night. Okay. Right. Cause that's what I said I was doing, right. but really I was probably putting in about two hours or three hours of straight work time. Mm -hmm. Um, and my work time typically was researching things, watching trainings, trying out a new strategy. And if that didn't work one week, then I'd try out the next strategy and then I'd try out the next strategy. Um, <laughs> And so for a really long time, for 12 months, I bounced around about two to three hours a day on a new strategy, a new tactic, something that I thought would make a difference inside of my business and never really locked into anything consistently. So I wish I could tell you in those first 12 months that I was grinding, but what I realized that more often than not, those eight or, you know, from eight to six every single day was consumed with paralysis, consumed with um, over, over educating myself mm -hmm. on too much and not enough executing. Mm -hmm. So that's what my first 12 months really looked like and bouncing around unfocused, <laughs> taking totally unfocused action. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Cause I, I think yeah. that that's, that, that is such a common thing, right? People totally. will, uh, they put in a lot of time, right? But it's not efficient time. It's not effective yeah. Uh, and, and it's not necessarily about the amount of hours that you put in, but the effective hours that you put in. Yeah. Um, so, so you go through this period where you're struggling, you're bouncing from one thing to a next, to the next thing. What, what was the turning point where, where did you get to a point where you said, okay, I, I now understand where I need to really focus my time and my energy, uh, and what made things turn around for you from a business standpoint? Sure. So I have... I've always been the kind of person that figures things out. And if I can't figure something out in a certain time frame, it drives me nuts. And it's always been like that. It's been like that through, um, I was a classically trained ballerina, um, field hockey player, lacrosse player, you know, teacher and educator. And I pride myself in doing things and doing them well. And what I realized was, Throughout 2012, while I was building and running my business, about six months in, um, and it was right at the turn of the year, of the new year, the start of the new year in 2013, I just was like, what is wrong? <laughs> I've never spent so much time working on figuring something out and haven't found the breakthrough yet. Um, and so for me, 
one thing that I identified that changed things, it was the beginning of changing things. And then about three months later, I had my big breakthrough. We had our big breakthrough was in January of 2013, I committed to attend as many live events as possible because mm-hmm. I knew that for me to learn, one of the best ways I learned was being around other people and was being able to learn from other people and network and talk to other people and pick people's brains. And I was able to do that at live events. And so we didn't have a ton of money at that time, but I invested in um, tons of live events. So like my first live event was in February, then I had one in April, then June, and then I think September. And I was eating granola bars out of my suitcase. (laughs) (laughs) But I knew that that was going to be the difference. And so that was the first thing that I did because I needed more confidence in me. I needed, again, to be surrounded by other people who were just like me, doing things just like me. But I needed to figure out what they were doing differently. Mm -hmm. So the, the pivotal moment that really changed everything for us as we went to, um, it's called No Excuses Summit. It's an absolutely, um, I know that's where we met, which is really cool this year. Um, I went to No Excuses Summit and it was No Excuses Summit um, 4. And it was in Las Vegas and this is when I knew I had had enough. Um, and I got really, really upset with myself was I had met and seen the same people because it's a small circle um, in our home business space. And I had met the same leaders, spoken to the same leaders, and I still had the same story of the reason that I wasn't getting results Hmm. and had to again say to them, Oh, well, you know, it's just been really hard and I don't have enough time and I just get really overwhelmed, right? Every single excuse possible. And what I saw, because I'm pretty good at reading people. I saw (laughs) one of the leaders look at me and go, Mm-hmm. Like, and make that head nod where it was like, yep, okay. So not what are you going to do about it, but like, and not I understand or I feel bad for you, but one of those times where it was like, okay, so am I going to see you again and <laughs> you're going to tell me the same thing? And that just hit me where it was like, what are you waiting for? So that night, um, Andrew and I actually got up from, we were sitting in the front row. He got up and he left because he was feeling the same way I was. Um, went into our hotel room, locked ourselves in the hotel room, skipped the VIP party that we paid for because um, we were there to network, right? Mm-hmm. And locked ourselves in our room and built out a 90-day action plan and said enough is enough. And on that weekend as well, too, we had invested in mentorship and we were going to be going to um, a training workshop hosted by Tim Irwin, Fernie Ceballos, and Matt Crystal where they were going to teach us more about lead generation and traffic and, and, um, and mentor us. And, and those so, are the guys from the, the No Excuses Summit from Elite Marketing Pro. Yes, right. exactly. And so um, so we completely locked ourselves in our room, built out our 90-day action plan, invested in mentorship. And then that was in April. And in May, um, we had made out this plan that we were going to do video marketing because we were bouncing around, right? For 12 months, we were trying every single strategy. And we said, you know what? Let's do YouTube marketing. And... I'll shoot, you know, two videos a week and by 90 days we'll have X amount of videos and that means we'll be generating X amount of leads. Mm. And before you know it, both Andrew and I are not necessarily the most patient people. We like to do things quickly. And it was Memorial Day weekend on May, in May and we said, you know what? We need to shoot 30 videos. So let's shoot 30 videos in a weekend. 
And so it was a Friday, Saturday, and a Sunday, and I shot 10 videos a day, and he did the process of uploading them and editing them, and we created a system for that. And then before you know it, um, we started by August. We were generating about 55 leads a day, and then in September, we did some tweaks that turned into 75 leads a day. And then before you know it, I tripled my teaching salary. Wow. Um, and it was nuts, but it was because of getting to that event getting angry and frustrated and then making a choice to get focused and make change and get mentorship. That's awesome. Yeah. So what were your, what were your initial uh, revenue streams? What, what was making uh, the money at that point um, when you were, you know, trip, doubling, tripling your teaching salary? Sure. So initially we were working and um, we were utilizing, we, we had a network marketing company that we were promoting, but we started, um, so that was one stream of income. But the stream of income that really skyrocketed for us initially was um, it was a system called My Lead System Pro. It was something that we were promoting, and um, and we were driving all of our traffic to the same offer. So we got really really focused on one traffic strategy, one funnel, and then I worked on calling people. I called all my leads, <laughs> I called every single buyer, and I worked on upgrading them into a membership program that cost uh, like $150 a month, and I got $100 commissions. Mm -hmm. And so I knew um, versus building out, so I was looking at time, right? I was like, what could get me the most cash flow um, consistently um, the quickest? And for me, for network marketing at that time, the amount of people I had to bring in and get to duplicate um, was going to take a little bit of time. And I was cool with that. However, I knew that with this affiliate system, if I found a way to build rapport with people through video and then close them into a higher ticket monthly deal where I'm doing coaching and training with them, um, so basically almost like building a team in a way um, and recommending out a great product and service, I knew I could make more money faster because I was getting $100 you know, a month from each person I brought in. So that was our first revenue stream. So we had network marketing, this, then this affiliate marketing company. And then after we started doing pretty well for about six months, we were up to about $7,500 in income, um, really, really close to the eight-figure mark. Um, finally, our mentor said, hey, you're really good at YouTube marketing how come you don't have a YouTube marketing course? Hmm. And so then after that, we built out um, an offer on how to teach other home business owners how to do YouTube marketing. And that's when we got into, um, and we built out the offer, went down to Florida, had like a long power day with our mentors, built it out. And then two weeks later, had our first $25,000 um, month. Basically. Nice. And from launching that product, and then it's just gone on from there because we saw that avenue, and I loved that avenue of being able to teach and instruct again. And so we had this affiliate income that was coming in passively. We had some income coming in from network marketing, and then we also had this new informational training space that we basically just opened up. We opened up our own products and services, and that's what we do now, which is really, really cool. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah, I, I love that 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 story of how it builds up, and then you discover one thing after another, and figure out like what really works for you. So, what you know, you you, you go into your hotel room, you and Andrew decide we're going to put this ninety day plan together. How did you decide on video? How did you pick? You know, because like you said before, you were kind of changing gears every I don't know so often, and never really focused on one thing. How did that become the thing? Yeah. So for us, there were a couple of different things. We we identified what, number one, what I was comfortable with doing. 
um, or actually what I was uncomfortable with doing, honestly. Um, but also what was trending and not trending to where it was going to like be hot for 30 days and then drop, but what was a strategic way to get myself and my brand out there to where I could build a community and build a following. And what I learned um, were two things. First thing is that I was absolutely petrified of video, which meant I had to do it. And second thing, I saw video as an avenue and a way to have access to people to educate them. And that was the biggest thing for me was I could have done it through blogging. I could have done it through a ton of different avenues, but video was the easiest way for me to pretty much just, I had a flip camera at that time to set up a flip camera, shoot a quick message and then get my video out there to the public. And so that was that. And we, and at that point in time, YouTube was like the hottest strategy out there on how to get free leads consistently. Um, and so that's what we did. We went, you know what? We've gotten a little bit of results because we tested out everything. And YouTube marketing, what we were doing, had gotten us, you know, one, a couple of videos were generating us about one to two leads per day. And so then that's when we went, well, if we had 30 videos generating us one to two leads per day, what would that look like? And we all sent them to the same offer. How much money could we make? You know, how many leads could we generate? How many sales could we make? How much of an income could we have each month? And now how do we do it? And so that's, that's the reason video really came about is because it was a great avenue for education, but it also was a marketing strategy that we knew was going to be around for a little while. Hmm, that's awesome. Yep. Thanks a lot, Kate, for sharing yeah, that. Yeah, sure. So, you know, now I want to talk a little bit about your, your mentor. Uh, yeah. So I know a lot of people are uh, interested in finding mentors, but the, the challenge often becomes, how do I find the right mentor, right? How mm -hmm. do I find someone who's actually going to move the needle for me and not just take my money? So what, what's, what process would you suggest for someone out there who's trying to figure out how to find a mentor? Sure. Um, well, one thing, I was fortunate enough to find three in a pack. <laughs> um, very fortunate uh, to find Tim Irway and Bernie Ceballos and Matt Crystal. Um, but for me, there were a few reasons that we strategically invested in their coaching and their mentorship. Um, one thing was to be able to work with Tim Irway, who um, is an absolute legend in the internet marketing space. And so we knew that, and there was one thing that I want, I wanted to know how to automate systems. Like I didn't want, I was already again thinking about, well, if I have babies, how can I work, you know, all this time. And so I was always thinking about automation and ways where I can, you know, build a big brand and get mass exposure. So I wanted internet, internet marketers um, that I truly felt came from a place of integrity, had really strong character and just a true love for their people to see them succeed and grow. And what I had learned is that I had been to their live events. I had met them. I had seen who they were and what they were, what they had accomplished themselves. And it was in alignment with what I wanted. So if I recommend out to anybody when it comes to finding the right mentor is number one, do you connect well and not connect well just from like a friendship space, right? But from a space of where they're going to push you and they're going to tell you the things that you don't necessarily want to hear, but that's going to help you grow, right? And then the second thing is, what do they have that you want? And so always looking when it comes from a mentor is look for somebody else that has what you want. And that is performing at a level that you want to be at. And, and, then, and then utilize them, 
right? And the last thing I will say, and it comes down to the person too, is um, we were actually just joking. I was joking about this the other day with Fernie is, um, you know, I was saying how much their mentorship meant to me. And he's like, yeah, but you had to do a lot of work too. <laughs> and that's the other piece of it. There are a lot of people who get into coaching and get into mentorship and think, well, they're just going to tell me what to do. And they'll give me the roadmap and they'll say, point here, click here, do this, take this, and then I'll make money and then I'll be successful. That's not the point of a mentor. Um, a point of a mentor is to give you the guidance and the roadmap, um, but you have to execute and you got to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And you have to bring your results to the table and be ready to hear the uncomfortable feedback and to be ready to hear that your stuff stinks. And, and be okay with that constructive criticism because they're doing exactly what you invested in them for. Um, and I would say that's the biggest thing when it comes to most people with mentorship is, and I was like this in the beginning, and the reason I didn't sign up for coaching or mentorship earlier is because I didn't, I, I was afraid of what they would say about my stuff. <laughs> And there's so many, ego is an interesting thing. You know, for so many people, ego gets in the way from being triumphant and being successful. Right. And so those are the biggest things for me when it comes to selecting mentors. Okay. Yeah. So you've, you've worked with mentors. You are a mentor yourself. Yeah. Um, what, what have you seen? If, if either one, you can take an example of yourself, uh, an old version of yourself versus the new version, and then also the things that you see in your mentees um, what are the biggest mistakes that new people are making? Sure. Um, so the biggest thing that if I were to go back into my headspace when I first started out is um, a couple of different things. So, and I actually just had a conversation with my mentors about this not too long ago, but um, being, being open and being coachable is, is so important. Mm -hmm. um, but acknowledging when you're in your own head. And for a really long time, I was open and coachable and I was taking action, but I kept hitting walls. And I kept hitting walls because I was in my own head. And so for most people, I would say one of the biggest things is ego, is putting your ego aside and letting people guide you. Um, and the second piece is truly the mindset of like what you're saying, um, how you are responding to your mentors, because they're there to guide you, they're there to help you. However, what I learned was that there were times where I didn't want to share information with them. I didn't want to share when I was struggling. I only wanted to share successes, right? <laughs> but that's the stuff that you want to share with your mentors is when you're struggling and you're having difficulty. Here's a great formula, okay? Because this is what I didn't do in the beginning. Ooh, um, sounds good. Let's, let's yeah. hear it. <laughs> so great formula, okay? When it comes to getting feedback from a mentor is number one, you have to execute. But when you bring your stuff to your mentor, you say, okay, here's, here's my intention of what I'm looking to do, okay? Here's what I did. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. What suggestions do you have in order for me to make my intentions, you know, true or make me move closer to my goal? Or what suggestions do you have for me to fix this? When I first started, I literally would just come and like say, so these are all the things that I've done or these are all the things I haven't done. And I had all excuses off to the side, right? But no clear direction and focus. And so it makes it so much easier, even as a mentor now, 
to be able, when I have people that bring things to the table and say, I, I want to do this. These are the things that I've tried. Um, here are my results from trying these things. What else do you suggest? So much opens up from that formula, um, not just for the mentee, but also for the mentor, because your mentor gets to know what you want to accomplish. They get to see what you've done so they can either fill any gaps, they can pick out any holes or find out any breakdown in your process and suggest out what's worked for them. When, when, when you're constantly coming, this is what I find sometimes from my students and from what I used to do. When you're coming from a place of constant worry of not making a profit back in your investment or coming from a place of you're not getting the action, you're not getting the results that you expected, but you're also not taking the action that's needed to get the results that were expected. Um, very rarely do you bring something to the table, right? It's right. pretty much either excuses for the reasons you didn't get a chance to do what you needed to do. Um, and no, no mentor wants to hear that more than once. It happens, right? You get a freebie, you get a pass. Um, you need, you maybe need a little bit of help and guidance there. But more often than not, if I continue having someone coming back to me, giving excuses on the reasons they haven't done what they've done, mm -hmm. then I'm not capable of doing my job, right? A mentor is not capable of doing their job. So the biggest thing I can suggest is putting in that work, um, especially when you're first starting out with no fear of failure, no fear of looking stupid or looking bad. And knowing that if you follow that process, that makes it so much easier for you to have a connection with your mentors. And they genuinely want to help you then. Mm -hmm. They genuinely will say, oh, try this, do that. And so then that's when I realized that I hit the jackpot. And I went, oh, okay. So then I would go and try those things. And I would either fall on my face or something would work really, really well. And they would say, okay, cool. Go do more of that, but then try a little twist of this. And that didn't work, so why don't you try this approach? Mm -hmm. That's when things drastically changed inside of our business. And that's what's happened with my students as well. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So I want to take a quick pivot, and I want to talk about relationships. So you work with your husband. Yes. Uh, and I know a lot of people are considering you know, working with, one of, working with a family member, a significant other. Yeah. Um, can you talk about the pros and the cons of having that sort of uh, business relationship and, sure. you know, significant other relationship? Yeah, it's, um, it's really interesting because I actually was just talking to one of my friends about that um, right before we hopped on our call. And, and it's really interesting because I've seen couples work together and be absolute powerhouses. Mm -hmm. And I've also seen couples work together that it didn't necessarily break them up. I know that that's actually happened before though, but but it turns into something that actually doesn't work. And so for me, there's a couple of things that I've learned when, it's come, when it comes to working with your spouse or your partner or somebody that you, know, you have a legitimate relationship with. Um, the number one thing that is the most important is communication. And it's open communication. The second piece is um, understanding your roles and your responsibilities inside of the business, okay? So actually, when we were initially starting out, um, and things don't always work, right? But we would have a lot of arguments, and it was because we didn't have clear, clearly defined roles on who was supposed to take care of what inside of the business. And so it was basically just free. <laughs> and... And that doesn't work well because if there's some, if one spouse has an expectation that the other spouse should get a certain amount, certain thing done, 
and they don't communicate that to the spouse. And then that spouse doesn't do what was expected because there was no clear role or responsibility, then it really creates a massive disconnect. And so I like to think of our business relationship as, you know, being really powerful because we have those clear roles and responsibilities put into place. We have expectations of what each other will accomplish. And we're also very, very open to communicating when we need to give each other criticism and feedback. And what I've learned, and I know what we've both learned, is that both of us have to be open to that feedback. Now, there's been times where Andrew's tried to give me feedback and I said, honestly, I'm not open to that right now. And, and, it's, and, and it's funny in the beginning saying it because it's uncomfortable, but it actually works. And it works the same thing with him where I might be running off a to-do list of all the things that I need to do and he needs to do. And he's like, I'm not quite ready for that yet. And I'll go, okay. And then I'll take, you know, five minutes work over here. Let me know what time you're ready to talk and then we'll be all set and good to go. So the biggest thing is treating it like a business. And then the next thing that's so important, um, which doesn't always happen, is just because you work together does not mean that that's what your whole life has revolved around. So we always, always make sure that during the week we have some sort of time that's spent um, for us to be dedicated together just as a couple. And and that's it. And, um, and honestly, we can't help but talk about business because we <laughs> love it. But it's never discussing it from a place of here are all the things we have to do. It's never a business meeting. It's like, oh, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go travel? Where do you want to host our next live event? What do you want it to be about, right? Exciting things, things that we're envisioning versus the to-do stuff. And then there's plenty of times where we go out on date night and we have such a good time together and we never talk about business. But we're very good at now separating our business life and our married personal life. And I would say that alone with the lack of communication or the lack of roles and responsibilities is what makes it really, really difficult for a lot of people to be able to run a business like that. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. So, uh, you know, with that, I'm also curious to know uh, when you go through roadblocks, when you get to points where let's say you're not as excited uh, about your business or you're you know, worried about a new direction you're gonna take things. How do you get over that? What, what do you do to stay motivated? Sure, so, um, so there's a couple of different things. Um, one of the things I do is I become incredibly self-aware when I'm in that space. And I also know that it's always going to happen. I'm never going to be able to take out all of um, those feelings of over overwhelm, the feelings when I'm in a rut or I'm in or I have a roadblock, those things will always be there. And so my my goal now is to try and get through that process as fast as possible. And so the way that I get through it as fast as possible is um, becoming self aware of when it's happening. Um, second thing is acknowledging that it's completely normal and natural. Uh, third thing that I do is I set up some sort of action plan on how I'm going to get out of it. And then the last thing that I do is acknowledge that I, that the only thing I can control right now is what I do now. And that was huge for me because in the beginning, my, my struggles could last for days because what I knew I was in control of was the now, which meant I was going to go sit and lie on the couch and feel bad for myself. And, you know, and everybody needs a day off, but you got to pay attention to how long things are lasting. Right. And so acting in the now 
has been huge for me. Like I can't control what happens in the future. I can't control the fact that I'm in this space, right? The past happened. Now I'm here. How do I get myself out of it? And how do I take one step forward and do that now? Um, the last thing I would recommend out, um, because it works really well for me is when I can identify that I'm in a really big roadblock and I can't see my way past, um, moving on up, I reach out to someone, whether it's a good friend of mine, whether it's a mastermind partner, whether it is one of my mentors, because it's something that I really need guidance to see through, then I actually reach out to them now and I ask for help. And that's one of the most important things. So I would say that whole process has allowed me to cut my time. So if I'm in a rut, my rut lasts for maybe 30 minutes to an hour now versus three to four days. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah. So very, very big shift. And so highly suggest anybody who's listening, definitely put that into place. Awesome. That's a great suggestion. That's because I know that's something that so many people get caught into. I, I mean, I get caught in that myself. So yeah. um, thanks for sharing that. So uh, Kate, I, I'm really grateful that you came on the show. Uh, thanks for sharing your, your story and advice and uh, all these great things. I want to know before we close out, uh, how can the Baller Circle get in touch with you and learn more about Kate McShay and your business? Sure, definitely. Um, and thank you again so much for having me on. I totally appreciate everything that you're doing for our home business space and the internet marketing space. It's so awesome. Um, so keep keep going at it. Keep creating these amazing interviews. Um, and I'll be one of your biggest fans. <laughs> thank um, you. But yeah, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, they can go to katemcshay.com. Nice and easy. You can check out uh, the blog posts that I have, the different ways that we could potentially help you out with your business and help you learn and grow. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Kate. Sure. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening to that interview with Kate McShay from katemcshay.com. I really appreciate the time. That's our show for today. You can check out the blog post of this episode and listen to other episodes of the Internet Ballers podcast by going to www.internetballers.com. Thanks for listening to the Internet Ballers podcast. Through our guest stories, you will learn the path to go from struggling entrepreneur to internet baller. We'll see you on the next episode.